Before we dive into today's episode, I'm going to veer from the script for a moment because I think it's important. Freshies, we lost one of our own this week. It's with a heavy heart that I dedicate this episode to the memory of Pickering native and kiteboarding legend, Jason Ghostrider Maloney. He passed away November 15th, 2020 in a kiteboarding accident at Cherry Beach in Toronto. I didn't personally know Jason, but one can't help but be affected when a member of our tribe leaves this earthly plane. So it's with deepest sympathies that our condolences go out to the family, especially his wife and kids, as this must be an incredibly painful time. To his friends and those closest to Jason, and of course, to the kiteboarding community at large. In honor of Jason, please join me in a one minute moment of silence. Like I said, I didn't know Jason, um, but I'd like to get to know Jason. So if any of you out there are listening and you feel compelled to reach out to me, please email me at info at freshwatersurfgoods.com. I'd love to hear your stories about Jason, and I'd love to feature you on an episode where we pay tribute to Jason. From my understanding, Jason was one of the best at what he did. I don't know the full circumstances of the accident, but even at a high skill level, I think we are all unfortunately reminded of the dangers that come along with our beloved water sports. He may have done everything right. I don't know. I wasn't there and it doesn't matter but we know that the lake cannot be beaten. So don't let Jason's death be in vain. Remember that the lake giveth, but the lake also taketh. So for God's sake, I just urge all of you to be safe. Surf with a buddy. Let others know where you're going what break you're going to be surfing at. Don't surf above your skill level. Your life is way too valuable. I don't care how much your boss pays you. You are important. Your life matters. You're worth way more an hour than your boss pays you. 
your life is priceless. So Jason, brother, if there's a heaven, man, I pray that you're up there right now, looking down on us, smiling, ripping waves, and flying high in the clouds. Or maybe if you believe in reincarnation, then I hope you come back as a cormorant or some other creature that gets to enjoy both the sea and the air. Rest in peace to Jason Ghost Rider Maloney. We acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded, ancestral, and occupied traditional territory of the Anishinaabe Nation, the people of the three fires known as Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi Nations. And further, we give thanks to the Chippewa of Saugeen and the Chippewa of Nawash, now known as the Saugeen Ojibwe Nation, who are the traditional keepers of this land. In some parts of Canada, treaties were signed with First Nations that gave incoming settlers rights to much of the land, while in other areas, few or no treaties were signed. Unceded land was never given or legally signed away to Britain or Canada. Instead, it was stolen and continues to be occupied and governed by settlers today. As we live, work, surf and play, we say mahalo to the Métis, Inuit and Indigenous peoples of Turtle Island and from around the world who have stewarded these lands and sacred surf spots for thousands of years. We recognize their amazing resistance, resilience, and strength in the face of ongoing oppression, dispossession, colonial violence, and injustice. In particular, we wish for justice to be brought for the murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls from across our country. We believe that for true healing and harmony to occur, we must reflect and make serious changes while working together as we move forward in truth and reconciliation. We can be better, we can do better. Welcome to Permastoke. I'm your host, Derek Hyatt. In this podcast, we talk to your favorite surfers and stand-up paddleboarders from across the Great Lakes, Canada, the U.S., and beyond. We take a peek into their lives and find out what it means to be stoked. Is it a natural state of euphoria, elation, a relentless commitment? I also talk to other Permastoke individuals with ties to surf culture, such as artists, entrepreneurs, filmmakers, musicians, philanthropists, yogis, and much more. Join us each Monday in learning from these field experts and enthusiasts while being inspired by their undying passion, insights, and rad tales. Permastoke is brought to you by Freshwater Surf Goods, your surf brand devoted to spreading the stoke across the unsalted seas and cultivating pride amongst the surf community. We do this by providing products and apparel that celebrate the awesomeness of both Great Lakes and Canadian surf culture. Stand out in the tribe by rocking our gear. Visit freshwatersurfgoods.com today. Or look for our products in a surf shop near you, such as Surf Sup Eco Shop in Concarden and Goderich, where you can also find me, Derek Hyatt, teaching surf, sup, and yoga. 
Would you like to try the fastest growing sport in North America? Right on, because Freshwater Surf Goods has its own stand-up paddleboard school. We offer basic and advanced flatwater courses, SUP surfing and surfing lessons in groups and both private and semi-private, along with tours, custom experiences, and SUP yoga in and around Owen Sound, Grey Bruce, and other parts of Southwestern Ontario. Have fun as you take your skills from okay to killer with a Paddle Canada certified instructor. If you'd rather stay dry, check out our Great Vibes Yoga Meditation and Healing Program. Aloha is a life force energy of loving and living in harmony with all my relations. Through movement, mantra, meditation, and breath, our classes reveal to seekers how to connect with their true self so they may spread great vibrations in the spirit of aloha throughout the global consciousness. We use powerful yogic technologies and the Hawaiian art of Ho'oponopono to calm the nervous system and leave you feeling uplifted and in harmony with mind, body, and spirit. Enjoy community and a chill atmosphere filled with great vibes and sacred ancient teachings delivered with humor and integrity. episode, I interview Vice President of the Alberta River Surfing Association and co-founder of Surf Anywhere, Jacob Kelly Quinlan. We discuss the history of river surfing in Alberta, the Kananaskis River Wave, what it takes and how to build a river wave in your community, discovering river waves around the world, and much more. So Jacob Kelly Quinlan learned to surf in Australia. However, upon his return home to Alberta, Substitutes such as snowboarding, longboarding, and SUP didn't seem to scratch the itch. That was until he was introduced to river surfing on Calgary's 10th Street Wave. River surfing soon took over his life, and for over a decade, he has traveled around the world growing the sport, competing, promoting safety, building new waves, and fostering community around river waves. He has introduced hundreds of people to river surfing by providing lessons and many more through his efforts as the Vice President of the Alberta River Surfing Association. He played an integral role in fundraising for and building the world's first government-approved community-built river wave in the Kananaskis. In 2018, Jacob and friends began filming their expeditions. Unsurfed Afghanistan is now released to the festival circuit and due for international release in 2021. This episode was recorded on November 18th, 2020. It is family friendly with only minimal and minor swearing, but no F-bombs. Jacob Quinlan, how's it going, man? Welcome to Permastoke, dude. Good, thanks, Derek. Good to have you. Thanks right for having on. me on the show. It's really great to meet you. Man, nice to meet you too, dude. Did I say that properly? Is it Quinlan? Quinlan, yeah, that's right. okay. So yeah. Jacob Kelly, do you go by Jacob or Jacob Kelly or? Yeah, it's it's Jacob. Um, it's I don't know how the whole Jacob Kelly Quinlan thing started, but like it, it definitely helps. Uh, in terms of Google, like I don't think okay. there's any other Jacob Kelly Quinlan's. 
surfing 100 waves around the world. So it's pretty easy <laughs> to track me down that way. <laughs> right on. It distinguishes you so you don't get mixed up with the other uh, Jacob Quinlans that are out there. Or, or like the Kelly Slaters. Like it's not it's not just Kelly, Jacob Kelly. Nice, right <laughs> on. Yeah, the Kelly Slater of river surfing in Canada. Yeah, so, I get that a lot. <laughs> yeah, right on. That's a pretty cool name to have, dude, I, I got to say. <laughs> Yeah. So, man, I'm stoked because here we are sitting with Jacob Quinlan from the river scene. And I've had an immense curiosity about river surfing. Uh, It's been, I'd say it started with knowing about river sup and the idea of supping down a river fascinated me. And then while I was living out west, I started to hear from my kayaking friends um, from where I used to work teaching SUP, they would talk about this wave, uh, Skookum, Skookum Chuck. Am I saying that right? Yep, Skookum Chuck. Now. Yeah. And that's when I first heard about this whole idea of river surfing. And obviously, I'd seen the wave pool thing and whatnot. Um, but this looks a, a lot more wild. So I'm hoping maybe to, to start off, you can take us down maybe the the history of river surfing or kind of a a 101 on river surfing. Yeah, for sure. Um, So river surfing is still relatively new. Uh, Not surprised the interest is there, but like not a whole lot of knowledge. Um, I think Canadians and landlocked Canadians especially are reaching for straws to find surf waves in any format that they can from (laughs) kite surfing, Great Lakes surfing. And it's really cool that you've started this podcast because I think it, it brings to light a lot of that. Um, and it's cool that you're reaching out to me and seeing what's up in the river as well. Um, yeah, nice. Uh, so I started river surfing in 2005, 2006, around there. And that's about the same time, a little bit earlier, uh, we started the Alberta River Surf Association. And that came out of sort of the World River Surf Association that was sort of grassroots and more of a dream that kind of fizzled out. But um, in and around 2005, 2006 is kind of where this handful of like guys who had surfed around the world came together. And we were more like a drinking club with a surfing problem. Okay, (laughs) yeah. So uh, a couple of the guys would go up to the Kananaskis River and there was kayak features that were built by the Alberta Whitewater Association. They actually had changed the river to form these um, sort of play weights that kayakers could, you know, do their spins and tricks and all that good stuff in the river. And a couple of these um, guys who had surfed around the world were looking at it and saying, hey, maybe we can surf here too. So wait a minute, you're saying they manipulated the river? Like they put some kind of structure in place or? So... The Kananaskis River is one of my favorite places in the whole world. <laughs> I guess we've got to back this up just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's in this beautiful provincial park, and the river is crystal clear, of course, cold, because it's pretty much coming out of the Rocky Mountains, um, straight unfiltered. But at the top of the can, the Kananaskis River, we call it the can, is the Transalta Dam that does power generation. So um, based on power needs and everything else, they will release that river and they produce power out of it. But when the river is flowing, um, they've created sort of a a playground, a whitewater playground in there. Um, So this started back in the 80s or so. 
and um, around 85 or, or, or sometime in around there, the paddlers had created almost like this, this internationally known, like a national level uh, slalom course playground for whitewater paddlers. Like there was wow. people coming to train for nationals, like right here, just outside of Calgary. Um, and it, it was sort of this hub. And then I think other rivers started to get developed after that. But what's remarkable about our river is when the Transalta does shut off the dam, it's not sort of like these other power stations where the river's always flowing and then they just pull the power as they need it. Um, the river in the Kananaskis is a low flow river. We only have um, about 30, um, 32 CMS cubic meters per second. That's a pretty small river in, in, in terms of river. So it's about 100 feet across. Like you can throw a stone to the other side of the river. So when they turn that on and they're running power, it's, it's a nice, you know, it's a, it's a fair stream enough to make a, a really great surf wave and have a great time. But when they turn it off, like the whole riverbed goes dry. So this is incredible because you can, like the, the, the feature that you're surfing, like over the, where, where all the rocks shape to make the wave. Yep. The water turns off and you can actually look every rock and see how the water's rebounding off those rocks, how the rocks are shaping the wave, how everything's being influenced. You can find your fins when you bust a fin because it happens wow. in the rivers. You'll, you'll see it like in the riverbed afterwards when it's dried up. And it's pretty incredible. Um, so the kayakers were originally building those features uh, for those kayak competitions and freestyle kayaking. But when we came in around 2005 and six, we were kind of like, kind of tugging at their arms, their, their sleeve and being like, hey, 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 can, can we do something? <laughs> we were super eager and idealistic and, and really hopeful. So um, we started getting involved in the river construction that was happening there at that time, but it took us uh, probably a good seven years. So um, a couple of years to sort of get into it and see how our relationship would build with the kayakers. And then around 2007, we started our project that in 2014, we unveiled the mountain weight. So if you've seen photos on Instagram or, or social or anything about river surfing in Alberta, yeah. Typically, you'll see it on the Kananaskis River, and that wave there is the mountain wave. And we, as a community, like the, the River Surf Association, actually pooled our funds together, you know, got lots of donations of time and engineering and the material, like uh, quarries had donated rock to us and everything else, and everyone was super passionate in getting this thing going. And we opened and unveiled the mountain wave. And wow. Yeah, it's it, like following the path of the foot or following in the footsteps of the kayakers and having a river that shuts off. You know, there was there was definitely some things working in our favor that not everybody else has to their advantage. But yeah. uh, it's pretty incredible because this is the first sort of community built surf wave that ever happened in the world. Other river surf waves have been built up to that point, but it was either a corporate effort or the government uh, kind of came in and said, hey, let's try building one of these things. Okay. The first sort of by surfers, for surfers effort. Nice. Yeah. So <laughs> I bet you're wondering how to build a river wave outside your backyard. Yeah, man. I'm thinking, can you tell me <laughs> where there is a river wave in Ontario in my area? Like I'm super curious now. Yeah. Yeah, so there, there's sort of two 
two streams into how people start river surfing. Um, and again, th this whole culture, this whole scene is followed in the footsteps of kayakers. Like I can't give them enough credit. Um, they, they, they were starting to get popular sort of in the late nineties. And then somewhere in there, the shape of a kayak actually changed. Okay. So they went from these sort of longer boats um, to something called a planing hall. And I don't know if you've heard about that in surfing, but. Um, well, I know planing hall for, you know, set boards and whatnot, as opposed to displacement hall. Yeah. So the kayaks actually changed shape and took a page out of the book of surfing. Actually. Okay. So when they, they did um, the planing halls, they got these kind of smaller freestyle boats and they were able to generate a lot more speed. And then they're working on airs and maneuvers, all this kind of uh, these big tricks and everything. But then the the quest for bigger waves started. It was like, um, you know, the last 30 years where kayaking had been happening, everybody's going through their memory of these runs they've done and think back and be like, hey, is there anything that we can surf back there? Well, that's awesome. They, they've been, you know, out there finding all these amazing waves. And it's always good to be friends with kayakers because if you're not, they're not going to tell you where the waves are. Yeah, but they're, for, real. for a variety of reasons, like you've got to, like, I don't think anyone, river surfer, kayaker, or even these uh, guys who are exploring the rivers on SUP as well, um, there's a certain degree of ability and skills, knowledge, experience that you sort of build up to. So there's definitely more um, uh, like intro, intermediate sort of entry level waves that you can find. And it's a little bit easier to get in there without any risk. Mm -hmm. uh, and then risk kind of exponentially increases after that. Um, so these sort of naturally forming waves or these sort of wild waves, I like to call them. Um, there's lots of surfers out there who are sort of looking for these. And um, that's really exciting because if you can find a wave that it sort of has the right connection, uh, the right sort of set of circumstances, like the sort of low risk, high reward, it's got to be a little bit more of a deep river channel with some nice eddies. You know, there's not too many trees or like kind of obstructions or anything that's kind of sticking out into the river. You have all these conditions, then it's it's amazing how much like exponential growth you can see in like one surfer becomes two to 10 to 20. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it doesn't slow down or stop until you've got you know, 30 people waiting in the eddy for their turn to surf, like, you know, every, every single day of all hours of the day. Yeah. So forgive me. I just, you know, I'm trying to wrap my head around this and, and picture it and understand it. So somewhere like the Skookumchuk Narrows, is that what you'd call a wild wave naturally forming? There was no manipulation there. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, on the flip side of the coin, um, there are manufactured waves. And a lot of times you see a manufactured wave built as part of a whitewater park project. Okay. Whitewater parks are popular in kayaking, but they have a lot of different, they call them features. Um, imagine if you were doing a skate park, you would build it for like all kinds of different skateboarding. And there's only sort of one half bike in, in the whole skate park. So a whitewater park has many different features. And sometimes they try for a surf wave and sometimes not. But they're up to until about 
you know, 10 so years ago, surfing wasn't popular and there definitely wasn't any surfers behind the whitewater parks projects. Um, so there wasn't, there wasn't anyone there to say, Hey, make it steeper, make it greener, make it curl, you know, these kind of things that a surfer would be looking for. Yeah. Um, if there was what they call a play wave and they were trying to make a play wave, there'd be a focus sort of on freestyle kayaking. Um, so there are still some play waves um, throughout uh, North America, especially. There's lots of whitewater parks. Um, so I'll give you an example. In Boise, Idaho, they have, um, uh, it's an old irrigation dam that uh, was sort of a hazard. And they went in and actually they're like, okay, we need to tear this out and put in a new structure that's safer. And they're just pulling water off for farmers' fields. Uh, so it's a very important structure for the livelihood so people can eat in that area, right? So it's a very important feature. But when they started taking bids for companies who could do this, um, one of the companies who put the bid in said, hey, we can also do a recreational feature here. Like, we'll build your, your dam that does irrigation, that diverts water for irrigation. But you know, as a result, people will also be able to kayak here. Yes. And on top of that, that company was working on technology that could shape the wave in a really cool way where you could hold kayaking competitions and all this kind of stuff. So that was a really great example where originally it was built as a play wave, but then the surfers took over. <laughs> so uh, in Boise, in the Whitewater Park there, you actually have um, uh, their their role, their name is a wave shaper and the city employs them and it's Paul Primus. So he's out there and he'll look and read the flows and kind of shape it up and down. And he has some manipulation of the wave there. And then they actually have to rotate kayak days for surf days. Okay. So one day they'll have the kayakers on it and the next day they have the surfers on it. So that's a, it's pretty new and exciting technology. And it's, it's kind of weird because it's been around for maybe a decade now and we haven't seen them pop up like skate parks everywhere. Yeah. This is the sort of thing that's possible. You know, what's funny is as a stand-up paddler as well, that's sort of the bridge between kayaking and surfing. And so I can kind of, you know, play both fields in a way. Like I've worked with a lot of kayak instructors, for example, but, you know, I'm a surfer at heart. But those are really two distinct groups of people. <laughs> <laughs> I would say so. Yeah. Um, it, uh, some have talked about a sort of rivalry that's happening similar to the skiers and the snowboarders when oh, resorts okay. wouldn't let snowboarders in. I, I don't think it's it's that uh, it's that big of a divide between the two of us. Yeah. And I think when you have different crafts, I think you you just automatically have sort of a divide because. Um, there's like a visual barrier that sort of separates you. Mm, but yeah. as soon as you're in the parking lot, like I have never had a bad time, like chatting up a kayaker and no. or a surfer. Like as, as soon as you kind of strip that away and you're just talking about the stoke or you're just talking about surfing, like they surf too. So for sure. Yeah. Like I, I think the more, um, the more we share experiences with one another, I think the more it's bringing us together. Yeah. And we have it's so much way for all of us. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, especially in the river. Cause we don't have to like out paddle the next, the guy next to you. Like okay. we're all just taking turns, right? Like yeah. we line up and there's a kayaker in front of me in line. I'm not going to like go in front of him and start. Yeah. Everybody gets their <laughs> turn. 
Nice. Yeah. So take me back to the Kanaskis River then. So yeah. now you're telling me that the Kanaskis River wave that you guys surf, the mountain wave, that wave, correct me if I'm wrong, that wave wouldn't exist if you guys hadn't done something to it, sort of built it up it was, the way you did? or It was a completely flat stretch of river. Okay. Um, so what you, the conditions that you need to build a river is, they call it drop. Um, there's actually a change in elevation. Um, so if you're going down river, there, um, a really wide, slow moving river probably doesn't have a lot of drop. Um, and the Kananaskis is a mountain river, so it's moving quite fast. And we have about, um, over the distance of 150 meters, you have about one meter of drop. Uh, so what you do is at, at a given place, we've built berms in the river. So those are just large piles of rock. And that backs up that one meter of drop. So from here to here, um, when you put in the rocks, it backs everything up so it's level. And then uh, the opening of those two rock piles where the water comes out, it's now going down one meter and then we're shaping it back up again. Wow, this is great news, man. Basically, you're telling me that we don't have to find a river that already is doing this. You can create this. So you just have to find a river, I'm sure, that has some kind of flow to it. But you don't have to find another skookum chuck, is what you're telling me. Uh, that is what I'm telling you, but I like, love it. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it, man. River waves everywhere. <laughs> but I, I have to like like warn you as well that uh, these projects uh, to be able to make changes in a river, there is a lot of uh, red tape and sort of government bodies that you have to go through. Okay. So I, I I had the exact same response that you just did. And I'm like, <laughs> sorry to like burst the bubble there because. When I first learned about river surfing, like when we started our, our efforts to sort of build the mountain wave, I was traveling to these waves over in Europe, um, down in North America, like down in the States. And I was freaking out. I was like, we can build surf waves like skate parks. Like there is no wow. question. Yeah. Any Like I have a promo video, I'll send it to you later. But I'm like, okay. it, it, any river, any town, anywhere in the world, we're going to surf. And I was like, <laughs> rah, rah, rah. <laughs> And then, you know, like 10 years later, we're like, we got one more wave. <laughs> Progress. So, so it's just, uh, there's a number of factors that goes into it. And it's, it's a worthy cause. And there are a lot of people around the world working on building river waves right now. But it, is, it does take about four to seven years. Um, so even just uh, like in Canada, for example, we have a water act application that you have to apply and they just look at everything you're doing um, dealing with alberta parks one thing that they've told us is like uh, we can't use the perspective of, of just like oh i want this they look at things in the terms of like um, what is a hundred year lifespan of this uh, what does this look like today but what does it look like in a hundred years from now yeah um, so there's a lot that goes into it um, Rivers are extremely important. They're uh, their own ecosystem. You know, they're, they're basically the veins or the lifeblood of, of, of Mother Earth. So yeah. um, 
I, I caution people to not get too excited, but it is a very exciting thing, but we can't just all go out and start hucking concrete boulders into rivers. Yes, and hope yeah. that surf wave, so. I gotta say, man, I look out my front window and I'm looking <laughs> at the Sydenham river. You kind of got, you know, there's some construction going on there right now. They're building a new bridge. It's like, yeah, what if we uh, drop this huge pillar just about right there and <laughs> put that other one over there? Wow, that's awesome, dude. There, there's a huge potential. I think it's going to yeah. take more time and we need more proven examples of, yes, this does work and it does last for 100 years and all the rest of it. Um, tacking on to an existing construction project is a great way to get in. Mm. Um, I think the, the most success that we're going to see, uh, we're going to see like four or five new waves open in Europe in the next two or three years. I think what they focused on is trying to find maybe smaller rivers where the construction's not too intense, um, the the outcomes aren't too detrimental to what was already there. They may be working in rivers where there was already a construction project or already a dam in that river, and also focusing on something where you can really have a positive impact on youth. Like, um, so it's surprising because I thought like Calgary's a big city; we've got a million people here. You know, if everybody just puts in $1, we can have a million dollar surf wave in downtown Calgary. But I think that there is more benefit to these smaller communities that uh, maybe don't have access to other sports. Um, mm. uh, like at the end of the day, even if you, if, even if a project costs a million dollars to build a river wave, you know, that's still probably less than a skating rink and it's going to be less ongoing maintenance and everything else. Mm. Because the difference between building a river wave and, say, a surf park where they're like a Kelly Kelly Slater's wave park or a wave garden or something like that, there's still a huge operating cost. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why people have to pay to use it. But a river is just running off of gravity. So once you have the shape in place, you can just open this thing and you have people from all walks of life, you know, all backgrounds. You know, if you build it in a safe and friendly way, uh, you don't have to charge money. You don't have to charge admission. You know, if this was downtown in some, you know, backwoods community, like kids who've got nothing else to do can go out and learn how to surf, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, man, this is game changing. I mean, I think the Great Lakes is a is a good illustration of this. You know, the, the stoke is alive. People, hey, they... they can't wait for the ocean we make do with what we have and it sounds like a a river wave is even one more step of accessibility like i was thinking things like uh you know e-foils and and some of those things were like oh wow it's getting easier to simulate that motion um but what i think is appealing about the river is it's still that natural connection you and nature for sure yeah If I haven't sold you on it enough already, I'll give you one one more kicker that I love about river surfing. Okay. Is and there still might be some listeners who don't have like a full picture of it in their head yet as well. Yeah, I gotta surfing, say you sold you. I was sold pretty early on, man. I'm, I'm down, dude. I want that river wave. I'm thinking <laughs> in my head as you're talking. I'm like, me and my wife are looking at property right now. We're gonna buy a house, and we're looking at by the lake. And some of these properties, actually, the lake's sort of out front, and then there's uh, some, oftentimes, it's backed onto a river. 
Oh, yeah. there you go. Thank you. Oh, okay. This river has to have certain characteristics. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Wave, waves on the lake in the morning, <laughs> waves in the river at night. Yeah. <laughs> back to the hot tub. <laughs> waves all day. Perfect. So the wave in a river is different from what you're surfing in the Great Lakes or on the ocean because it's actually a stationary wave. Um, so the way that that current moves through that constriction where we've got the boulders, the, the sort of boulder dam or the berms that we've built up. Mm -hmm. So that speeds up the water, it goes down the drop, and then it forms sort of a rapid in the river. And it's got a nice tall face so that we can surf in there with a surfboard. But the wave itself isn't um, a traveling wave like you would see in the ocean. Yeah. So the, because it's in one spot and we're lining up beside it, and we're paddling in, popping up, and doing our surf there, the wave doesn't actually go, go away. So when you have your sort of 30-second ride in the ocean, and you're, like, freaking out, and being like, that's the longest ride I've ever had in my life. Like, your legs yeah. are getting sore because, like, it was some kind of point break, and you just kept riding it, and another wave came in and formed it back up again, and you keep going, and that's 30 seconds. Yeah. When we have a surf comp in the river, we have to have judges blow a whistle after 60 seconds and be like, that's the end of your ride. Wow. So the, like, I don't think that river surfing necessarily replaces ocean surfing. I don't think I could ever make yeah. that claim. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's almost more like a treadmill or a climbing gym. Like mm -hmm. We have all those conditions of our arena or our playground. So like we can that. try out maneuvers, gain strength, um, you know, do everything we need for our bodies to uh, work the way that we want them to work so that when we go out to the ocean, we're actually surfing on a higher level. Yeah. And for guys who live in Alberta, we still do trips out to the ocean. Sorry, guys and girls. <laughs> yeah. Guys is the whole package. <laughs> yeah. Everyone who's surfing in Alberta is still making these ocean trips. But what river surfing does is allows them to maximize their experience when they get to the ocean. Yeah. Because I was doing these big trips and spending quite a bit of money just to get on a plane. And, and you know, there's, there's other costs to that, like the environmental cost of getting on a plane. And then you get there and you say you got a week in Mexico and you're like, okay, I got to surf for like eight to 10 hours a day, every day to get as much as I can out of this experience. But like, yeah. you're just relearning how to surf. Like arms and legs are exhausted the whole time. It's just, it's not a yeah. really great experience in terms of, what you get out of it like even just learning how to pop up again it's it's like every time you go you never get to the point where it's just second nature yeah <laughs> i want that consistency we need that this is what i'm telling you because if yeah. you have a river wave in your backyard you know yeah. you get to work on all those muscles and then um like even just it's a crazy thing i uh, on the river wave i call it the home position but if i'm never having like sort of a bad session or I'm getting grumpy because I'm not pulling off what I want or, or I'm in my head too much. Mm. Like you can be standing on the board on the wave and just like have this like half moment of like, take a deep breath in, center yourself, you know, let it all go and then begin again. Wow. And that's so hard to do on an ocean wave. Like it's like, it's now or never. Yeah. <laughs> you're never going to surf this way again. Yeah. You're not going to regroup halfway. Like, yeah. Let me think of my tactics on this. How do I want to tackle the rest of this ride? Yeah. You're in the moment. Wow, man. Amazing. So, you know, 
originally when I was thinking of river surfing, I'm thinking rivers typically have a bunch of rocks in them. Uh, you know, it comes to mind like whitewater rafting, that type of environment. Um, but from the videos I've seen, it's so you are, are you in pretty deep water? Is that fair to say away from any kind of rocks where you build these things? It'll change from spot to spot. The Kananaskis okay. River is quite a shallow river in terms of uh, surf spots that I would like to go to. Um, so uh, personally, like if, if, if maybe you're looking more at sort of my stuff of kind of the spots that I like to go to, you'll see a lot more deep water waves. Oh, okay. um, uh, so I think it's similar to the ocean where not everybody is hunting after the biggest wave. Um, some people are just happy to sort of catch the waves on the inside, yeah. the beach break, that kind of thing. Whereas I'm like the bigger, the river wave, the better, like mm. I'll, I'll go as far out of the way as possible just to find like a bigger, wilder ride. Nice. But, but really these things come in all shapes and forms. Okay. And um, I'm, I guess I'm more interested so even when I'm like going on the hunt to, to find new river waves and something no one has ever surfed before, I think still in my heart, what I'm ultimately looking for is a wave that a community can kind of form around. Mm. Um, like I said before, you're looking for a certain set of um, circumstances or characteristics that that river wave might have. But the other thing too, is when you think about whitewater, or if you can picture yourself in that whitewater raft and you got your guide behind you and you got all these other guys and girls in the boats and you're paddling and you're hitting wave, 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 yeah. and you're just kind of bouncing around like a pinball. Uh, those are all probably surfable waves in a way, but maybe not necessarily what a river surfer uh, is looking for necessarily. Uh, in the kayak community, they would call it a park and play feature. So this is something where you don't have a put in where you do a section of river and take out um, and hit stuff along the way, but you can actually park kind of uh, walk yourself in, uh, do some surfing, get out and then walk back to your car. Uh, this is a really great aspect to be able to have in a river wave. Like if you could park and see it from the road, then it's, you know, there, there's no question that a community is going to start forming because the next person who's driving by and looks down and sees a surfer, they're like, okay, how do I do that? And then it yeah. just, that's that exponential growth that I'm talking about. And then there's just certain level of safety that needs to be required in that park and play feature that um, it's not too daunting or intimidating that people will be able to uh, bring their friends out and, you know, have an extra surfboard kicking around and be like, Hey, come on, let's, let's try this out and see it grow in that in that way. So in these communities like your own, for example, mm -hmm. I mean, are there, is there such a thing as river surfing schools? Like, are you taking people out, showing them how to do it, proper lessons? Yeah, for sure. The, the whole idea around um, river surf lessons is sort of hit and miss around the world, which is a little bit surprising to me, but at the same time, totally makes sense. <laughs> Um, in the earlier years in Alberta, um, remember I was talking about that handful of guys that were kind of stupid enough or crazy enough to surf in a kayak sort of uh, river that's like fed by a glacier, super cold, 
you know, that we're not thinking about like girls in bikinis and sandy beaches. Like this yeah. is like, a bit extreme and definitely on the fringe and no one really knows about this. So it was kind of this sort of um, underground and, and not talked about thing. And we were such a tight knit group that we didn't really, we didn't really share that with a lot of people. We didn't really want to bring too many new people into it because it was such this, it was almost a spiritual thing. Like it, mm. it was like we found some sort of magic door into Narnia and it, yeah. we didn't want to just go back and tell the whole world what was going on. Yeah. It's like you we, found the garden of Eden. Yeah. It was, it was a lot like finding the garden of Eden. Yeah. Well, especially when coming back from an ocean trip and I don't know, ha having mixed experiences in the lineup of like not feeling necessarily at home, yeah. like getting some vibes, you know, in, in the salty waves and then coming home and everyone's like, Hey, how is Costa Rica? And like, yeah. oh, let's go serve. It was just such a welcoming vibe. And, and it was yeah. such a, such a like um, non-judgmental supportive group that was mm -hmm. on the river there that we, we didn't really share that too much. And then we got to a point where um, we were surfing all these kayak features and we really wanted our own feature that was, made by surfers for surfers like a real surf wave on the can and at that point we sort of kind of weighed our options and we're like there's no way we can do this as the handful of guys we are we're going to have to expand our community is everyone okay with this like we're at the point now if we want to build a better wave we need to actually open the doors like we're, mm. we know that there's going to be more people who are going to come out for this like i even had surf friends because when I was, I went to a school in uh, University of Lethbridge and we started a surf club down there. We'd do our reading week trips. We'd go down to Santa Cruz, California, load up the bus, take everybody down and teach them how to surf. Like I had lots of friends who were surfers who liked nice. ocean trips. And even some of them didn't want to try river surfing. They were like looking at the, you know, six millimeters of neoprene I've got to put on. And they're like, forget that. Like call me when yeah. you're going to Mexico, <laughs> you know, I'll take, okay. take the warm water. So we had to like really expand it to a point where this would be um, more appealing to more people. And when we did that, um, around that time, my friend and I started giving lessons. Um, we started bringing more and more people into the community. And at that point, we didn't really know exactly how to be safe out there ourselves. Like mm -hmm. I think if you look that far back in, in our community, uh, in our history, we weren't being the most responsible individuals. Okay. We're also just a bunch of like dumb kids too. Yeah. Right? You know, like with, you know, full of stoke, but not much else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So at that time, when we started building sort of the lessons uh, curriculum, we also started taking safety a lot more seriously at that time. Mm. So part of the insurance requirements to have a lessons company was to have proper safety. Um, so first aid, swift water rescue training, um, and just we started broadening our knowledge around rivers in general. Mm -hmm. uh, started reaching out to sort of the paddling groups or anyone with whitewater experience and just taking that a lot more seriously. Yeah. Um, so when I first started river surfing, I wore a helmet for about two years just to get the hang of it. Um, and then I felt comfortable to the point where I could take that helmet off. But 
So that was a weird sort of circumstance where I'm taking lessons out, groups of six people and teaching them how to surf. And I'm not wearing a helmet, but I'm asking them to wear a helmet. Mm-hmm. So there's all these kinds of things that we sort of had to, to figure out as we brought people in. And I think that that, that maybe makes it, um, that maybe puts up barriers for other communities. So I, I, I'm not totally positive, but I'm guessing the closest river surf community to you would be in Ottawa and Gatineau. Okay, yeah. They've got a, a wave down there called Sewer Wave, and it's not firing year-round like the Kananaskis wave, but there's um, sort of spring and winter or late fall sort of windows where this thing is really good. It's a really okay. And there's definitely a community that has built up around that wave. And there's almost been a need to, uh, to form that community because the more surfers that come into it, the more sort of, um, the more they're exposed to sort of risk. Like, you know, if a board flies up, uh, the leash catches it, flies it back, it can hit you in the head. Yeah. So things like that. So, excuse me, the, the formation of the community is about sharing good information and uh, like I think everybody shares Stoke and shares photos of them having a good ride but at the same time they're also sharing like hey I got caught up in those trees back there and here's what I did to get out of it and I just want you guys to know that as well yeah um, so I, I can't think of off the top of my head anyone who's doing lessons in the Ottawa Gatineau Mm. Uh, like community but i don't know if they're in a position where we were either where they're asking themselves do we really want to open the doors to this do we really want to start bringing people in you know classroom sizes at a time you know i was doing lessons of six uh to one teacher to student ratio but sometimes we have like a bachelor party bring in an, an additional instructor and like Okay, now now we've got like twelve new people to the river. Like we like when we started, there was only twelve people, and then now we just brought twelve people in. So yeah, you doubled in a day. Like this this thing can start growing quite. Yeah. uh, When you do lessons, it started starts to blow things up a bit, and I think a community needs to be in a place where, um it's sort of got their own stuff figured out ahead of time yeah. to be able to start introducing people. Um, I, I think what I've seen in Alberta, at least the, the sort of early movers or, or the people that have come to the river to explore river surfing in the early days, they, they can look after themselves a little more or they're more risk adverse or more adventurous or there's, there's a, characteristic or, or something in the fabric of their being that um, just kind of, you know, kept their eyes open a little bit more or like they were just a little bit more aware that like, this is a dangerous place. Like you're jumping into a river, like you say, it has rocks, it has white water, it bashes you around, but you don't just turn the river off. Like if it's got you, you know, it's got you. So yeah. So when you fall, is there usually, wouldn't there usually be rock directly behind you that, that's helping to form that wave? The berms are in front of the wave um, oh, okay. and the water's rushing past the berms. And in some wave features, there's um, something underneath the wave uh, just to help shape it. 
but it's actually right in front of where your feet on the board would be. It's kind of where the nose of your board would be. And then um, what the wave is, is just this huge mass of water okay. and it's, there's nothing in there. Okay. And when you fall, it's kind of like falling into that as a pillow. Like you're going into the wave first before anything else. So it, there's a lot of cushion around you with that big mass of water if it's, if it's okay. a good nice wave. But then after that, um, typically in rivers, you'll see a train, a wave train, we call it. But you'll see one or two waves form behind the big surf wave. And what happens is it, uh, it goes down before it goes up. So when you fall off, you go into this big pillow of water, but yeah. then it gets shallow again before it gets deep again. Okay. So that's the part um, that's that's the real risk of hitting rocks. Mm. And then there's also this thing that um, people who are new to the river that is like a major no-no that you really have to watch out for is uh, the natural state for people, I think, is to stand up. And I feel like, uh, like if you were going down like a tobogganing hill and you're like, I don't like this, you just kind of stand up or even just in the, in, uh, you know, ocean currents or like in a swimming pool or anything. It's like, I don't like this. You just kind of stand up. Like that's the default position of like, uh, I want to be on solid ground again. Okay. But in a fast moving current, that's like the, almost the worst thing you can do. Yeah. Try, trying to stand up in a, in a fast moving current can expose you to things like leg entrapments or foot entrapments where, um, the current keeps going, but there's just this perfect foot-sized hole sort of in the rocks or the terrain where your foot goes in and catches and you keep going. So it just kind of will drag you down to the bottom of the river. Wow. So super scary stuff, but all stuff that you can manage. It's yeah. If you're looking at a river wave, and you're like, that looks fun. And no one's there to sort of show you these things. Yeah. Uh, you can put yourself into some dangerous situations. Sounds like it. This sounds like an insurance nightmare. You got to have <laughs> your ducks in a row before you just take, you know, six to one ratio of students out with you. Well, yeah. Swiftwater rescue training was a great course to sort of okay. go through as an intro to all, all the things that can kind of go wrong there. It's still really designed for a paddling community, um, a community who are using ropes and, and have things like carabiners on hand. Mm. And, and um, I think when you're in a boat, uh, I don't know what your experience with stand-up paddleboard is, but I find that the community around paddling who are already in a boat don't really want to get out of their boat. And understandably, mm. like they may not be dressed to, to be swimming all the time. But surfers, like you swim as much, well, more, you, you swim more than you surf because every time you surf, you fall and you have to swim. Yeah. So I think just really quickly, we, we get a sort of comfort in the river. And um, so if I see someone who's sort of standing in a current, to use that example, the first thing I'm going to do is get onto my board and paddle towards them. Um, as opposed to sort of looking for alternatives like getting a rope and trying to set up a rescue scenario with any kind of rope. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's still work to be done in, in the River Surf community in terms of safety, in terms of rescue and, and sort of a basic foundational knowledge that needs to happen for instructors. Yeah. But there are so many resources out there. And I think anyone who has um, 
passion for river surfing and a keen mind and really goes after it. I, I think all those resources are available. It's just a matter of taking all the pieces and putting it together. Do you have any resource materials, um, like a dissection of what a river wave looks like, like to construct it? What are the different elements? Do you have any anything like that? Yeah, um, two great places for resources. Okay. Um, so our our association website is albertariversurfing.com. Um, okay. That's where you find more of the safety information, uh, equipment inter- information, and some stuff around community and just sort of etiquette of like okay. that kind of thing. We've got a few videos on there. So it's a really great resource in terms of like what to expect in the river environment. Nice. In terms of uh, dissection <laughs> or any kind of like wave anatomy or how river waves are formed, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, I would check out our website surfanywhere.ca. Um, so Surf Anywhere started as uh, in 2007 when the association was like, hey, we need a wave. What the heck are we going to do? Okay. We actually started this thing called the Surf Anywhere Project. and like. So wait a minute. You guys had a river surfing association, but you didn't have a wave yet? Well, we, back when we were surfing the kayak features. Oh, okay, okay. So the, the difference there is um, in a river, you'll find things called a hole or a wave um, and a hole is like riding the whitewash yeah. and riding a wave is like riding a green wave in the ocean so we were basically just riding the whitewash okay if that, if that makes sense yeah so it does. we were looking to stack up a nice clean green surfable face right on you're trying to create <laughs> jaws in alberta <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> Well, at one point we we're like, should we call it the pipeline project? Yeah, <laughs> uh, that might upset a few people. Yeah, uh, yeah, pipelines, right? <laughs> um, so, uh, what we ended up doing is like crowdfunding was this like new thing that people hadn't really heard of at the time, and there was this thing called Kickstarter, but yeah. like that was still only in the states only at the time. Okay. So we actually like built this whole thing on Indiegogo where we wanted to, and we started like interviewing like engineers and, and surfers and everyone around the world and like going and visiting these places. And our big plan, the Surf Anywhere project was to sort of um, create and release the plans on how to, how to build a surfway. Oh, like, okay. Here's the perfect way. And I think going through that process, um, what we learned was that the wave technology isn't really what's holding us back. Uh, so I think the, the physical, like if you look at physics, the physical properties that form a stationary wave in a river, um, it's known as a hydraulic jump. And it's like this, this like normal thing that occurs in nature. And like, it, like it's sort of a basic course in engineering at university and they're just like hey let's look at hydraulic jumps today and like that's not really what's holding us back and i think if at any moment a a city a municipality um, a government was like hey let's build a river wave here's the money to do it i i don't believe that they would have any problems in creating a successful surf wave if if they were targeting a surf wave and not a whitewater park um, but I think we needed to go through that whole experience to be able to sort of learn that to like, we wanted to like unlock some sort of 
barrier. I think we did that. Um, so since then, Surf Anywhere has sort of changed shape and it's more now, like we actually formed it into a corporation so that we would be able to consult on river projects. Wow, okay. Uh, so now we have people from around the world, like lots of communities in Europe and some down in the States. The States is a little bit different because of, like you say, insurance nightmares, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but we have a really good perspective where we're able to, just like in like plain conversations, the way we're talking now is just sort of um, tell a surfer how to sort of a, avoid some, some pitfalls or some dead ends. Um, as well as kind of give them tools and resources to really making convincing arguments uh, into building riverways, um, sort of the things that a government is looking for. I'll give you a great example. Something that always comes up when you're when you're interacting with rivers is the surrounding citizens, the, the people who live in that town, uh, want to know about flooding. Because if you were to build sort of the, the same rock berms that we have in the Kananaskis, for example, um, in a different location, if, if you don't look at flooding concerns, you're actually creating a dam. And mm. under high water conditions, the water doesn't have anywhere to go but up and over the banks. And then you, you can be looking at flooding homes. Oh, wow. Um, so that was looked at very early on in this group of river surfing engineers who are like, okay, what do we need to do? Um, so questions like that can be answered and it's important to know that there's different types of features or different methods of building river waves. And it's not so much, you know, we're trying to figure out what works where it's just a matter of looking at all the other stuff. Um, like they actually did studies in Munich, Germany. That's one of the most popular river waves you'd ever see. Um, it's on the Eisbach river and it's right downtown Munich and it's been running, they've been surfing there for almost 50 years now. Wow. So you talk about a community, like there's like thousands of surfers who would call the ice block their like local break. Okay. And so they did studies there about just fish habitat and they've, they, through the research that they did, they can actually show that fish can't swim up that current. Like if you have um, uh, the shape of a wave that's really good for surfing, it's very likely that a fish over a certain size won't be able to swim upstream. Okay. So like that's terrible for their habitat because if they have spawning habits or anything where they need to, to have a lot of momentum or movement through rivers, then you just put this huge barricade for them. Yeah. So another thing that we did there is we just have this thing called a fish passage. So in every wave that we build, it's just this little sort of like escalator for fish. And they're just like, yeah, we'll take this way. Gotcha, so there, yeah. there's ways around it all. And I think. Well, this every, is bringing to mind to me. It's it's reminding me of a fish ladder. I'm thinking. Yeah, fish ladder. I could just imagine like a, a wave breaking next to the fish ladder watching the salmon jump. Yeah, <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. Got to do that in BC. Yeah, yeah. You know, before you started surfing this wave on the, is it Kananaskis or Kanaskis? Kananaskis. Kananaskis. Before you started surfing the wave on Kananaskis River, I mean, you must have surfed somewhere else to even want to surf a river wave. So, Sort of, what was that progression like, man? Would you go, uh, you know, on a family trip to the Bahamas and get stoked and come back? Like, what, 
walk us through that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, surfing was probably the furthest thing from my head growing up, like growing up in Canada, playing hockey. <laughs> like, yeah, definitely didn't think I was going to grow up and be a surfer by any means. Yeah. Way. Did you grow up in Calgary proper? Yeah, I'm from Okotoks, so it's just south of uh, Calgary. Okay. And, um, uh, like, I have a big family. I have three brothers, and they've got a bunch of kids. And so, like, I'm pretty close to Calgary. I'm pretty close to my family. But um, in university, I had a cousin who uh, was looking at the um, working abroad program, and she was going to go to Australia. And she's like, you should come with me. And I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. And she pretty much signed me up, like, did all the paperwork because she just wanted me to come with her and to be able to have some and I'm so happy she did um so we were there for maybe a week and like surfing was on my brain at that point like I was starting to wonder like am I going to be able to surf there like yeah. that, that sounds pretty cool and then within a week we had been signed up for a surf safari so from uh Sydney to Byron Bay and like it was like five days was the best five days of my life kind of thing like the nice. very first day I was like paddling in the wash first time out, like popped right to my feet. And I don't know, I was just hooked. Like wow. there was something about that. Like I, I rode a green wave on like my third day, but we had like one-on-one -on -one instructor. Stop it. <laughs> no, seriously. Like it was, wow. it was an incredible experience just because yeah. like Australia riding up the coast, like this, the instructors, we had six instructors and there was maybe 15 of us. Yeah. and the you could tell who was really into it they would get more attention okay you would just like look out the bus check the, like the swell reports but like basically just like looking and spitting into the wind like old school surfer stuff like yeah this looks good pull over um and then we would just have primo waves like i don't know if i've had waves that good since to be really? honest yeah you know what i mean so it was just like really beautiful small slow rollers just like like long long spread out like waves and it was it was almost it was just made for a surf school so yeah. it, it was pretty easy to to pick it all up you know what i mean so um so coming home uh like i knew i was hooked like i i stayed in australia for eight months um and i was surfing there like as often as i could and i did continue my progression which was really good like I got into some big wave riding and all that kind of stuff which I think being a 21 year old kid I had a certain level of fitness and lack of fear that just I was sort of in my prime to be able to to take that on at that time yeah so coming home I I was like a little bit lost and yeah. I don't know I got into um first I got a longboard skateboard and then I got into snowboarding um you know like anything i could do to sort of like tap into that feeling but it, nothing was like you know it was all good because i i was like i was a surfer now <laughs> you know my yeah, friends are like uh, you changed dude <laughs> but, <laughs> but what like, happened to you man <laughs> <laughs> and then um when so i had a friend who was in that uofl surf club when we came back from santa cruz he was going to school in Calgary. I was going to school in Lethbridge and he sends me this newspaper clipping and it's a picture from the Calgary Herald and he's surfing. We actually have another wave in Alberta. It's downtown Calgary 
but it's just this tiny little ankle biter of a wave. Okay. <laughs> and he sends it down to us like through the mail. And I get this picture of Jeff Brooks surfing this tiny little wave. And I just had to laugh. And I wrote him back. And I was like, there's no way you'll see me surfing on that little river wave. Like, okay. <laughs> so I just totally wasn't into it, sort of laughed it off. Yeah. But Jeff got me into the river like that spring. So he okay. took me out to the Kananaskis. And that's where he had connected with the other four guys who were starting the River Surf Association. So he learned on 10th Street. Meanwhile, these other guys were learning on the Kananaskis and figuring out they could do that. So those two parties met, and then I came into the picture on the Kananaskis. So and, you got two crews. You got this like 10th Street crew <laughs> and the Kananaskis crew. <laughs> Well, like, yeah, like 10, 10, 15 years later, there's actually sort of two crews. Yeah, nice. In the beginning, it was like two guys were said started in the can, and, and yeah. Jeff, this other guy, Chris, had started at 10th Street, and then, yeah, they met up with one another. But right, right. yeah. And then, so the way that Jeff introduced me to the river, and like when I grew up, I would swim in the, in the river as a kid because mm. um, like I love swimming, I, was, I did lifeguarding, like I was always a water person. Yeah. But I would love just kind of like floating down the river or doing tube rides, but I had never been in anything like whitewater. Yeah. And, and so we park at the Kananaskis sort of at the top end and we grab our surfboards, we suit up and just like, okay, we're going. And we jumped into the river at the top and we floated down to where the wave was. And it was that whole whitewater experience. Like we were like oh, going yeah. through rapids and like going underwater and like duck diving waves and stuff. Yeah. So that was pretty intense but like that yeah. didn't really shy me away from it that got me hooked even more so you were like in a prone surf position doing this prone. wow yeah. okay <laughs> and, and paddling too because, um when the water goes over a drop and really speeds up to hit a rapid you don't want to get caught behind it like it'll yeah. tumble even more so like when you're coming up on a rapid you're like giving the gas like you're paddling like like you're paddling for a wave yeah. And then like crashing right through it. So wow. I can't imagine explaining that to my mom. Where were you after school? <laughs> Good right. luck. Yeah, right. Never again. Wow. So we got down to the where the wave was. And this was a completely different feature. It doesn't even exist anymore. But when I when we paddled into that, Jeff showed me how to do it. And I stood up again first. <clears throat> and it I, like it was just that same feeling that I felt in Australia. Like that mm -hmm. first day I was on the ocean with a, like a big 12 foot foam top. Like I was on this little tiny ankle biter, like whitewash of a river wave, but it was just like, there's just something to it that was like, okay, this is it. And then after that, like river surfing was sort of always this thing that I did to scratch the itch. And yeah. I was still ocean trips i would still take months off at a time and, and go move like i lived in halifax for a little bit i lived in T tofino for a summer oh nice you know like i'd be all over trying to like live the surfer's life yeah i'd always get pulled back to calgary like i'd always get homesick miss my friends miss my family and i think that that feeling of feeling that surf again but then also just like that being amplified by feeling what it was like to surf in my home. Mm -hmm. um, like I'm not flying across the world in a completely different time zone. Like this was my home. Like these are yeah. sort of the rooms that I grew up around. So like the whole package just started to like 
it started with a tease, but then it just kept pulling me in, pulling me in. But had you sort of accepted the fact, had you said, okay, I'm hooked to surfing, but I'm just going to have to go on trips, you know, and live in Calgary and bite the bullet. Had you sort of said that to yourself? I was, I was teetering between like, I, I was sort of living in two worlds where there might still be a way that I could live on an ocean beach somewhere. I could still okay. be a surfer. And every time I was in Calgary for too long and not feeling that, I would drop everything and go find that again. But as soon as I'd find that more and more, I'd start to miss home. Gotcha. And so I think what ultimately happened was river surfing gave me both. And nice. it wasn't, it wasn't the, the wave on the Kananaskis and it wasn't the wave of the 10th street. Cause for me, like, like I really love just being out in nature. I love the physical activity. I love all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, all the things that make surfing so great that's all there with the the waves in the can and, and the 10th street that's that's all there but it's it's not uh enough of a like a meaty beefy wave for me so as soon as i started turning my surf travel from getting on a plane to getting in a car mm. um and if you drive you know, you know 10 hours in any direction from calgary there are some incredible waves okay and, like I've surfed river waves that are head high, you know, like Skookum Chuck is an overhead sized wave. Yeah. And, you know, like driving to Skook from Calgary is the same distance as driving to Tofino. But the mm. difference is you can set your watch to when it's going to break. And then your ride times are going to be, you know, five, six minutes long on a monster yeah. overhead wave. So wow. it, it, it just became more of a hunt for the standing waves for me. And less of an appeal to sort of get vibed in a, a salty wave lineup. Yeah. That's my experience, at least. So what's your full-time gig? Is surf anywhere? What keeps you busy? Or Yeah, so I have a, just a regular nine-to-five job, like everybody else. Oh, you're just a regular old muggle like everyone else. Okay. Yeah, uh, I did. Um, like, I've, I, I sort of had like a two-year expiry date on any job that i worked for a long time and that's sort of when i get that itch of like i had you know i was really good at saving once upon a time and it was just kind of always like the, the surf fund and then as, as soon as that'd be big enough to go live somewhere for a few months i'd be out of there yeah um but uh so i i was in one of my recent quit my job and try and do surfing so i was teaching surf lessons full time I had started a shop. I was um, selling these like foam boards just to get people into the river. Yeah. Um, so at that point I'd like sold maybe a hundred boards or just under a hundred boards, like getting this community going, everything was great. And then winter hit and I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what am I going to do? What's the contingency plan? So one of the surfers offered me a job and uh, we do audio visual installation. So it's just a trades job. But uh, I really, I really like the challenges that come with it. Um, and I'm kind of a sort of an audio visual guy. Like before that, I was doing communications and graphic design, website building, brand building. So this was more of a technical side of things, like putting up a projector. And it, it was just kind of, it's good, stable work. And it's a new challenge all the time. So 
I think that that really helped me in the way that I could, um, when I was devoting my time full-time to all the river surfing stuff, I think I was trying to push too hard. Mm. I was almost, um, like it didn't feel like a natural organic progression. Gotcha. And I was almost trying to force it. Whereas having a stable income um, has given me the freedom to put my energy into the areas that I think really need it. Yeah. And, and more recently, I've actually, I've taken a step back from sort of our our home community like in Alberta okay. I think in a healthy way I've sort of gone through stages of burnout okay. and there's been times where I've been trying to do too much um, sort of just on my own I know um, like our president of the River Surf Association is in a similar boat where now he's got a wife two kids and he's still trying to do everything we were doing back when we were these kids in our 20s and it's just hard to balance all that yeah so now we're in a position where there are a lot of people have stepped up to be able to help nice Um, next yeah and there's things that we have started that we don't necessarily have to be there to help run um all that kind of stuff but now there's some momentum there and it it feels really good to just answer an email here and there or a phone call here or there and not have to be like the guy like you know you need a surfboard oh jacob's the guy like go talk to the guy like that was fun and it was really cool to see everybody who had come in like there was a time that if someone was river surfing they would know who i was and like that feels good but i think it was too much for me Yeah. (laughs) yeah and and i would know them for sure but now it's it's good that this thing almost has a life of its own that if if I, uh, you know, get hit by a bus tomorrow, that it's going to keep going. And I think yeah. that that was an important part that I needed to build into it for myself. Yeah. So what's the, what's the sensation like surfing a river compared to surfing a, you know, regular green wave or whitewash either in the lake or the ocean? Yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of similarities. I, I think it needs that for me to really get hooked. Like I've been on, like, for example, a flow rider. I don't know if you've seen those, but it's way more like a skateboard on really fast moving water. Is this and, like the skate park thing? It look, or sorry, the surf park? Because it looks like they're almost on like a standing on a boogie board or something yeah, like that. You've just got like, and it, the the ground underneath it isn't actually hard either. So it's almost yeah. like a trampoline thing or like okay. a wrestling mat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then there's super fast water rushing over. And then you're on a board that's um, just like an oversized skateboard or like boogie boards they'll lay down. But uh, like I just – I couldn't get it. And yeah. uh, maybe I'm like biased because it like defeated me and I don't like yeah. to – to get it's, defeated by it. It seems like the same premise as an air hockey table. Like you're yeah. just kind of hovering <laughs> over the surface. Okay. Good Canadian reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely air hockey. Um, so with a, a river wave, you like you have fins, the, the board's the same, the fins are the same. You're driving in, um, like sinking a rail and like spraying out mm. all from your fins. And it's the same way in that sense that, I think that that's where I really, that's the feeling of euphoria that keeps pulling me back in. Like, yeah. like really sinking into a green wave. Like sometimes in a session, it only takes one turn. It's not even like that one wave where you like connected a few turns, but like 
sometimes all it takes is just one turn and like that's enough in my stoke bank to like carry me out for the next month nice but um yeah riverways are really interesting it's it's hard to find um waves the size of ocean waves in the river and if you do they typically only last for a couple weeks like six weeks would be a really long session on a river wave okay um so uh what we're surfing in the other times throughout the year like at 10th street and the canonaskins or really sort of these other communities who have built up way uh communities around waves it's it's really just um you know keeping your legs like uh keeping all the fitness there like doing everything you can so that when that high water like that spring runoff hits and those river waves are really jacking up and getting to those perfect conditions or like the wave that's just an hour away that's it's just coming in now because the river's high enough for it to work then you're ready you know what yeah. i mean you've got all the skills and all the fitness is there for when you really need it. So river surfing is interesting. Like the, the one thing that I like about it, that it, the, the gift that river surfing has given me in that sort of that home position or that home moment that I talked about yeah. is like really being able to look around more. I think that mm. I've river surfing in general doesn't give you this, but I think it allows for this is that you can slow things down a little bit more mm. And that's the kind of surfing that I really like to do or what I'm trying to do. Like I'm not really watching the WSL much, but I love to watch guys like Rob Machado who like, or um, yeah, who, who just put a lot of style into their turns and there's a lot of like Zen and finesse that goes into it. You had um, a video with Rob Machado and I didn't watch the whole thing through. Did he come check out the river situation? That's a good one. You got to watch that one through. <laughs> um, okay, I better watch it through. He was just surfing in Munich, and it was like a layover. Like he was there for just enough time to be able to get in in Munich and uh, catch some waves. And okay. yeah, so so one of our friends, Bjorn, like went to the airport. He's like waiting for his flight, and like got him on camera just to see, you know, like what his impressions of of the surf scene are. Oh, nice. There's, there's been a lot more pros who have surfed the Munich wave. Okay. Yeah, like if you shout out a name, pretty much everybody's done it. <laughs> Have any of these guys come to the Kanaskis River? No. <laughs> no okay. Not yet. <laughs> um, like I think the the wave 2.0. Like we're we're still continuing to develop in that river, and um, to do what we really want to do takes um, a huge amount of effort from engineering. Yeah. And. We don't have anyone on the board of directors who's like a full-fledged engineer who can stamp a drawing. So um, we have some limitations of what we're doing, but uh, yeah, Neil's working on some modeling with the University of Ottawa right now or University of Ontario. But the the modeling that we're doing there is like what's what's possible in a river hasn't been tapped yet. Uh, nice. The kind of waves that we're showing in modeling would make a pro actually freak out be like yeah okay i can check out this river surfing wow so you know again i don't know a whole lot about river surfing so this might be the stupidest question ever <laughs> but is there a competitive scene is 
is that a thing? Okay, are there pro river surfers? I wouldn't go as far to say there's pro river surfers. Okay. Maybe. So um, competitions are still new and it's an exciting time because uh, there's still big question marks around how to judge river surf competition. Mm. Yeah. Um, so this will vary from community to community and there is some communication in between those communities, but we're not, um, so close that, uh, it's a hive mind. Like, I think everyone's still trying to figure it out in their own way. Um, but what you, what you have with the standing wave is you can judge, uh, river surfing in a river surf competition. You can judge it much more like skateboarding mm. or say when snowboarding is in the Olympics for their half pipe you can score just based on tricks. Mm. Uh, so uh, like way our maneuvers, like 180s, 360s, pop shove it's uh, big spin, like these sort of like, I would look more to wake surfing. If you look at what a wake surfer, a pro level, high level co competitor who's doing wake surfing, what kinds of things they're doing on the wave, you can look at river surfing and judge in a very similar way. Oh, okay. But then there's this whole stream of thought um, of these soul surfers like myself <laughs> who are coming into rivers and saying, we cannot lose the aspect of what makes surfing so beautiful, mm. uh, the dance of it all. You yeah. can't lose that to have someone stand in on their board in the middle of a wave and just bust trick after trick after trick. Yeah. I like that language. I don't really want to see that. Yeah. <laughs> like, for me as a judge, when I'm judging the surf competitions in the Kananaskis, um, we're using an adapted WSL format where things like power and carves are worked into the judging category. Mm. So if you can pull off a really impressive maneuver, um, it's great. But if you can pull it off with style, if you can pull it off with power, like if you can make it look really good and push it right to the limit of the wave, then in my opinion, you're going to score a lot higher than if you just throw the trick in the middle of the way. Okay. Yeah. So um, uh, the surfing has been around the longest in Munich, Germany. Um, and uh, out of Munich, they've grown, uh, it's called the Rapid Surfing League. So they actually have sort of, and this just started in 2019 and 2020 it's been a weird year so they haven't had a lot of it um really why <laughs> <laughs> there hasn't been much growth and progression there this year yeah for obvious reasons um but they have like four or five stops on a tour that they do wow. um, and Quirin and and the team behind rapid surf league has done a really good job of bringing a lot of groms into the sport um pulling these kids these guys and girls who are like 18 19 20 years old who grew up surfing in Munich um, on a river wave and um, sort of getting them in the competition mindset so that they can maybe one day represent Germany for surfing in the Olympics. Mm. And they're, they're not shitting around. Like this is really a, an honest to God goal of theirs. And um, a lot of these kids, so they're doing, um, they're surfing on all these stationary waves, but then they'll also compete in ocean uh, competitions. And scoring really high, like on a European level, maybe not yeah. the world stage, because, you know, to go up against other kids from Hawaii or Australia, maybe not so much. But in terms of European surfing, they're scoring really well, like on podium levels against all the other European, um, like beach nations. So yeah. 
it's really cool. And I, I think it's that sort of treadmill idea of a stationary wave being able to like just hammer out um, your tricks and maneuvers just like time after time after time. The wave's always doing what it's going to do. So you've got to learn how to adapt your surfing to make sure you pull it off. Right on. So you, you've done some judging then? Yeah. Um, like uh, I'm not uh, like personally, I'm not as much into the competition side of things. Yeah. Did and, you ever compete or was that a thing for you or? Yeah. So um, I started out competing with the Alberta crew. Like there's a video of us like doing um, our very first surf event in the Kananaskis. Um, the name that came up, we were looking at doing a, a surf slam that wasn't overly competitive, that still had like the, the idea of having it as slam is like this fun event for everybody. And Paul came up with the name Slam the Can, which was nice. a great name for everybody. And like I said, we started out as a drinking club with a surfing problem. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. um, so Slam the Can uh, had a 10-year progression where we in 2006 started as a sort of grassroots thing all the way up to um, 2016 was like our biggest year. We had maybe 150 people out uh, just camping right at, on the river at the wave for a weekend um, with involving sponsors and a whole lineup of bands, like, you know, three or four bands and three or four DJs playing like this whole big experience. And then all the funds raised going into uh, developing the river and building waves. So um, through those 10 years and that 10 year progression of that event, I've done everything from being a competitor, a judge. Um, I've like taught judges, like put on a clinic in order to have our judges learn how to judge all that kind of stuff. So nice. after 10 years, you kind of have to wear many hats. <laughs> gotcha. So you would consider yourself you were a competitive surfer, Canadian competitive river surfer, but not, you wouldn't say you were a pro surfer. You weren't on the WSL roster <laughs> or something. I I think you're a professional when someone pays you to do something. So nice. that's where I'm yeah. saying. I don't think we have any uh, professional river surfers. Okay. If you go to Germany, there are definitely river surfers who have, a board full of stickers of all their sponsors who are getting paid to compete. And um, gotcha. they're also going to the ocean and they're, you know, they're in that realm of surfing it is an Olympic sport now. And we need yeah. every country to work on their competitors. So there's some really great opportunities, especially with the Grands over in Europe. And I'd love to see that happen north america like um if you go to bend oregon i think there's a really great scene there and they they're really early on in their competitions they've run i think two now more with the mindset of it being a slam and not being overly competitive but i that i have a love and a hate for it i think every time i compete i get this weird feeling in my stomach of like ah, i hate this like i'm so frustrated i and on game day, I never perform. Like I always yeah, yeah. way better when there's not a judge looking at me and all the rest of it or cameras or anything like that. But also knowing that a competition was coming up, I would always work harder. I would always push myself harder. And I think that that's an important thing, especially with the youth that are coming into the sport. And yeah. I think that they're really like giving them the ability to show off what they've been working on in front of a stage, give them a stage. 
I think that that pushes everything forward and I would never do anything to stop that or, or um, kind of stifle that at all. I just think that there needs to be a healthy environment for that to happen where it's yeah. not becoming this agro localism. Uh, you can't surf here kind of mentality. I think yeah. in the river, everyone's welcome and it needs to stay that way. I agree, man. What a perfect way to kind of cement the end of the show here as we wrap up. Right um, I got to say, dude, we're going to have to do a part two because <laughs> we haven't talked about any of your film work. The word Afghanistan hasn't even come up in this conversation. Yeah, true. Um, there's a lot more to go over. You have surfed a hundred waves across the a hundred river waves across the world, correct? Yeah. So there's, man, there's lots more stuff to talk about here, but for today, we'll cap it off with that, my friend. Um, before I let you go, do you got anything you want to say to the audience or anyone thinking of, you know, dipping their feet into the river, any words from the wise or anything like that? Yeah, it's, it's still kind of hard to break into the river surfing scene. Um, there's definitely a lot of resources online, but uh, you yeah. You know somebody, right? You don't just show up there with your board and jump in, right? Well, you can. Like in downtown Calgary, if there's a lineup at the 10th Street Wave and somebody just shows up with a board, I've seen it happen. Like it happens. And it's like, hey, man, what's your name? Like, can I give you some pointers? And it happens for sure it happens and this is what i'm saying like if if people are thinking about this like just um yeah don't let anything get in your way like if if you want to if you want to start river surfing like get out there find out where they are river surfing maybe not just go out to what looks like a wave and and not tell anybody you're going to do it and get yourself into a dangerous situation but go check out ottawa and gatineau like they've got a facebook page you know, or, or wherever you are in the world, like just do some research and find out where river surfing is going on. Yeah. Like, even if you got to drive, you know, make a little road trip out of it, um, throw your sup on the car as well. Like rivers are great for that. Like just make it a whole experience. If you're going to bend, like grab a, a mountain bike, like there's lots to do in these, yeah. in these places. But then, you know, like, you know, I know, I know guys like guys and girls who've said, they saw river surfing. They're like, Oh, that looks so cool. I want to try it. But it was years before they like found their way in. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying, get, get out there and, and see if you can make it happen. And, you know, we need more people in the river, like more people building waves, more people finding these, these mystery waves that are out there. So yeah, I really encourage everybody to get out there and give it a shot. Right on. Dude, it's killing me, man. I wish I would have reached out to you like in one of the first episodes I did because I was still living in Vancouver. Oh, yeah. And you could have been a stop on route to Ontario. Uh, oh, yeah. Because, you know, I drove through Banff. I wanted to see Lake Louise. You couldn't even get a damn parking spot. So that <laughs> didn't happen. But we just kind of actually, no, we went up to Drumheller. Um, but, man, I should have come and seen that surfing scene so it's hard for me to even believe that you're sitting here talking to me right now because you got a surf spot firing 
<laughs> all the time. Like you don't have to look at the weather. What's the wind going to be? You know, what are the conditions? Is it better at Cox or is it better at, you know, West Ch North Chesterman? Yeah. You got this wave just there. It that is very addicting. <laughs> wow. I guess. Jeez. Like, man, marriage is hard already. Wow. <laughs> I was going to say, it's ended a few marriages, but I won't get into that. <laughs> yeah. No, man. Maybe it's better that I don't have a river wave right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. You'd be easily spend a lot of hours there, I'm, I'm sure. So, dude, you know what you're doing, get, get this podcast out to the people they got to hear. And uh, yeah, if you need a river guy, if you want, if you got more questions and stuff, just sprinkle me in here and there. I'm sure a lot of your listeners don't want to hear about rivers every every episode, but we'll, we'll have our time to chat. <laughs> this isn't the river show, but no, it's right. certainly <laughs> a part of it. And even my brand, you know, Freshwater Surf Goods. It, it leans heavily towards Great Lakes just because that's what I know. But river surfing is definitely something I'd like to explore more and possibly even talk to you at some point about, you know, if I can create some cool designs that might sell for that crowd. Like, that's what I'm all about. I just, I want to share that stoke. And I think as Canadians, I'm trying to create something that speaks more to our jive, you know, so. Right on. So that would be cool, dude. All right, man. All I got to say to you, dude, before you go, is stay stoked, bro. Yeah, stay stoked. Right on. That's all for episode number 19 of Permastoke. Man, we are getting up there. We are almost at 20, folks. I hope you guys enjoyed listening or watching. I know we left the lakes for a little bit and we hit the river and we're not out of the river yet. I got some more guests lined up that I think you're going to be excited to hear from. So again, I want to say mahalo to Jacob Kelly Quinlan for sharing his knowledge and stoke for river surfing and for planting the seed of, of building river waves near you, coming near you. Uh, of course, only with the best intentions for the community and in a way that wouldn't damage the environment, ecosystems, or wildlife. But it's pretty tempting to get those river waves up and running. So big thanks to Jacob. And also want to thank Sean Kibyuk. I hope I'm saying that right. Kibyuk or maybe Kibyuk. It's Sean, K-I-B-Y-U-K. Thank you, Sean, for the photos you've given me as well um, of Jacob Kelly Quinlan out there surfing the river. So rock on, dude. Couldn't do it without you. And so you guys can connect with Jacob Kelly Quinlan on Instagram at Jacob Kelly Surfs. You can also find him on YouTube. He's got his own channel. And hey, be sure to check out uh, www.albertariversurfing.com. Uh, check out www.surfanywhere.ca check out www.unsurf.com and if you go on Vimeo be sure to check out this really rad video called The Wave We Choose and you can also find Sean and his photography on Instagram as well I believe at Sean Kivia.
We would like to give a big mahalo to Mark Malibu and the Wasagas for providing our intro music, Hey Chihuahua, off their 2009 album, Crash Monster Beach, and our outro music, End of Summer, off their 2017 album, Return of the Wasagas. For more information, visit www.wasagas.com and check them out on Spotify and iTunes. And of course, mahalo to all you listeners out there. We are so grateful that you chose to join us for this episode. And we look forward to providing you with even more awesome content in the future. More episodes are definitely on their way. But in the meantime, make sure to go back and listen to our previous episodes. And don't miss an episode ever again. Subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can even listen on Spotify or the Alexa app. And you can even watch the show on our YouTube channel. Please let us know how we're doing. Leave us a rating and review. And don't forget to share with your family and friends over social media or by spreading the word in the lineup. To learn more about Freshwater Surf Goods and to check out our products and services, visit freshwatersurfgoods.com. Sign up for our newsletter so you can stay up to date on new products, new episodes of Permastoke, events, our SUP and yoga schedule, and other exciting news. Don't forget to follow us on social media as well. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Freshwater Surf Goods. But if you're a part of the surf or sup community or a surfaholic wanting to connect with your tribe and stay informed as to what's happening all across the Great Lakes and Canadian surf scene, then join our Facebook group, the All Canadian Surf and Sup Club. At Freshwater Surf Goods, we are currently in need of artists and graphic designers to help us with new product designs. We need photographers to provide Great Lakes in both East Coast and West Coast surf photography. We need musicians for music on the podcast. Hey, we want to make this a real community effort and have you all be a part of it. Or if you have an idea for collaboration, would like to recommend a future guest, would like to invite me to an event or book me to teach supper yoga, or if you'd like to carry our products in your store, or you're interested in being a sponsor of the show, and for anything else, hit me up on social media or email me at Derek at freshwatersurfgoods.com. That's Derek spelled the Viking way. No double R's or C's, just D-E-R-I-K at freshwatersurfgoods.com. I look forward to next time and getting to know you all better. In the meantime, I'm your host, Derek Hyatt. Mahalo, freshies. Keep surfing and stay stoked. <laughs>